Hello, welcome. My name is Seppi, rhymes with Peppy, and you're listening to the She Hit Refresh podcast, a podcast for women age 30 and up who want to break free from routine and start a life of travel, specifically women who want to move abroad or travel the world long term. As you'll hear, I sit down with women who have made their refreshed dreams come true and discuss how and why they moved abroad or traveled the world long term. I myself moved from Texas to Spain in 2015 at age 35. I'm now 41, and I have to say, moving to Spain was one of the best decisions I've ever made. I'm still here and loving the life I've built abroad. Are you looking to do something similar? Well, if you are, I help women just like you make a life abroad a reality. And we have so many resources to help you make this happen, including this podcast, our website, She Hit Refresh, our retreats, and our Facebook group. And this podcast is actually an extension of that group, which you can join at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash She Hit Refresh. We have over 8,000 members worldwide there. So come join us and get even more information and inspiration on how you too can hit refresh. So in today's episode, I talk to Kristen Montgomery. Kristen is a teacher from Wisconsin who has lived in France, Spain, Switzerland, and Singapore. She has a love for all things international and has visited over 50 countries and counting. After six years of teaching back in Wisconsin, she decided it was time to hit refresh once again and make the move to Medellin, Colombia to teach at a bilingual school. You're going to love this episode, especially if you're a teacher, because Kristen shares some very useful tips on how teachers who are looking to work abroad can find work in international schools and beyond. We'll also cover her refresh journey, her tips on learning languages, she speaks both French and Spanish, what she loves about Colombia, as well as living with anxiety and how to overcome it. And for anyone who's dealing with anxiety or needs help getting through the tough times and looking for professional help, someone to talk to, join over 2 million people who decided to get help and feel better with BetterHelp. BetterHelp makes professional therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient, so anyone who's struggling with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. Speak with a professional monthly, weekly, or even multiple times a week. So if you've been thinking about it, maybe now's the time to give it a try. I've even tried it myself. And you can get 10% off your first month with our promo code. Just go to BetterHelp, that's B-E-T-T-E-R, help.com forward slash refresh. All right. And without any further ado, enjoy this podcast episode. All right, Kristen, welcome to the She Hit Refresh podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here today. Well, let's take it from the top here for our listeners. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Love to know where you're from, your age, and what you do. Sure. Well, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. I lived there until I went to university and since then have kind of been all around the world. Uh, was back in Madison for six years. And then just this year came to Columbia. I am 37 and I'm a teacher. I teach high school. I've taught a number of different things. Right now I'm doing French and social studies, but I've also taught English as a second language and I've taught Spanish also. 
Awesome. Love that. Yes. I think you're our first guest that's located in South America and Latin America. So I'm really excited to get into your story here. You're refreshed story of Colombia, which is actually the homeland of my mother. So I'd love to know where are you right now? Where in Colombia are you located? Yeah, that's so cool. I have that connection. I am in Medellin, which is kind of in the mountains. So Colombia is very, very diverse. And depending on where you are, you're going to have very different weather, very different landscapes. But I am up in the mountains in Medellin. It is pretty much the perfect temperature year round. It's probably between 65 and 80 degrees every day. It does rain a little bit, but in general, it's been probably the best place I've ever been for weather. Love it. Yeah. They call it like the city of eternal spring there. And I know it's become a huge digital nomad hub as well. It's a really popular place now and beautiful as well. So you said that you're 37, but how old were you when you moved to Colombia? So I just moved to Colombia this past year. So I was, I guess I was actually still 37 technically (laughs) because I just moved in July and we're recording this now in February. Fabulous. And then you were in Wisconsin prior and you were teaching. Is that right? I was. So the past five, no, six years before this, I had moved back to Wisconsin. But before that, I had been living in Singapore for two years, teaching and uh, for four years in Switzerland. And then a couple of years before that, before I got my teaching license, I was doing a year in Spain. And I know a number of the people that you've had as guests have done the language assistant program in Spain. So I actually did that right out of college in Madrid for a year. Oh, interesting. Yes. I did that program myself. Yeah. So many people. Okay. Yeah. So many people for the listeners out there, if you're interested in, in moving to Spain, one of the easiest ways I would say to get your foot in the door is through the language assistant teaching program. And I'll drop the link in the show notes. If you're interested in that, I definitely want to talk about Colombia, but now you've piqued my interest with Switzerland. Cause I know that's not an easy country to move to. So I just love to hear briefly how you're able to, to move to Switzerland legally. Sure. So I was teaching there also, and I got really lucky because I I ended up getting a job actually kind of to do my student teaching there at a boarding school and was able to work there. And then, of course, they take care of your visa. They take care of everything. And being a boarding school, they took care of housing and room and board. I think since I was there, they've made it a little bit harder because It is a place that it's hard, really all of Europe, you know, if you don't have an EU passport, although I think there are more opportunities now, especially for freelancers and digital nomads and that kind of thing. But generally, as an international teacher, I've been very fortunate in that the schools have really facilitated the visa process. And so they're able to get visas for their international teachers. I see. All right. Thank you for giving us some insight there. So let's take it back to Columbia. I'd love to know what prompted your move from Wisconsin to Columbia and why Columbia? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people have asked that. I, like I said, I'm a Spanish teacher and I lived in Spain for a year. I traveled, lived for about a month, five weeks in Costa Rica, and I hadn't been any farther south than Panama. So I thought, okay, I definitely want to do South America. With this job, you know, COVID was kind of at its height last year, and I wasn't really sure what was going to happen, and I wasn't really sure how long I wanted to go for. Usually when you teach internationally, it's a two-year contract, but I was able to find a school here probably more because I was like at the end of the hiring season that only required a one-year contract. And so I decided, okay, well, 
maximum, it's going to be a one-year contract. So that makes it a little easier to move if you know that you have an out after just one year. But it's been a wonderful experience. I really, really enjoyed it here. I think obviously one of the things I wanted was to be able to continue to learn Spanish and brush up on my Spanish and just see another culture. And I had heard really good things about Medellin. As you said, it's definitely a digital nomad destination. The weather is awesome. To be honest, the best thing about here that I found is just the people. The Colombian people are so incredibly warm and friendly. And I don't think I've had like a rude exchange at the store even the whole time I've been here. It's just been amazing. Oh, I love hearing that. Yes. I mean, I grew up in the U.S., but I went to Colombia when I was very young. So I don't remember, but I also went when I was 30 and I went again when I was 31. And that just really, you know, made an impression on me, too, is the people and also just like how joyful and happy people are in addition to being kind. I just I just love that about the culture there. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there's music playing all the time. People are very smiley, very happy. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you don't realize what a difference that makes in your day-to-day life until you go somewhere where people don't smile at you. (laughs) And so I think having people be just so warm and friendly and willing to talk to you. And, you know, whenever I say, oh yeah, I'm from the States, you know, the taxi drivers are always asking me questions and, It's just been a very welcoming environment. That's great to hear. And what did your family and friends think about your move to Colombia? I mean, they're used to you traveling since you've been doing that for a while, but you moved, you know, during the pandemic. Were there any concerns coming from them? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I'd been vaccinated before I moved, but still, obviously, we're seeing that vaccinations are are waning um, in terms of how effective they are. So certainly COVID was a worry. I think more than myself getting COVID was almost just worry for what the lockdown situation might be here, because before the vaccines were available, they had a very, very strict lockdown where you couldn't leave from, I think it was Thursday to Sunday, every other weekend, you couldn't leave the house, like even to go outside. So I was a little concerned about that, but fortunately, knock on wood, it seems like I've kind of arrived at just the right time because things have just opened up more and more. Certainly my, my family was concerned in the sense that Colombia has a bad reputation and it was obviously, you know, deserved in the sense that there was a lot of violence. Uh, Medellin in the you know, 80s, 90s was the most violent city in the world. I think it had the highest homicide rate. So that was definitely an issue. Now, being here, I've talked to lots and lots of people that have personal stories about how the violence affected them or how there was a bomb that went off near their house or, you know, a near miss with some sort of terrible violence. So it was certainly an issue. However, my personal experience here has been great. Like I said, people have been so nice. I feel quite safe here. Obviously, there are areas that you don't want to go to, and there are still lots of other issues in in many parts of Colombia, but um, Medellin is a good place to be right now. Wonderful. Yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. And also when I was traveling, I was in 2010, 2011, and meeting Colombians who are also traveling, getting to know their country and talking about, you know, the issues with violence and how it seemed like it had taken a turn for the better, which it is much better now than it was, as you said, in the 80s or 90s. And so I think it's a place now. I mean, I think that's why Colombia has boomed in tourism because it has become a safer place in addition to it being an incredible country with so much diversity as well. Definitely. And I think to the 
the release of the Encanto movie, Disney's Encanto, is going to have a huge effect on more and more people getting interested in Colombian culture and wanting to come and visit here. Definitely. Yeah. I didn't even know about Encanto until really recently. My my partner's nieces and nephews are, have been singing the song here every time I see them here uh. in Spain. <laughs> and then I was, you know, I saw just some clips as they're playing all the songs. I'm like, where is this? This is not a Spanish location. Where are they? And they said, Colombia. So now I haven't watched it yet, but I can't wait to watch it knowing that it was um, taking place in Colombia. Yes, you'll have to watch it. All right. Well, I want to talk about it being an international teacher. I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are teachers out there, their ears perked up because I know this is something that for someone who may be teaching in the U.S. would be interested in doing because I know teaching abroad is one of the easiest ways to be able to you know, make that transition abroad. But a lot of times you're teaching in an academy, you're doing private lessons, you're not so much teaching in an international school. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you become an international teacher um, and your experience around the world with that. Yeah. So generally to teach in true international schools, you need to have a teaching license. And it's best if you get that in your home state the way I did it was a little bit different. Like I said, I kind of went to Madrid and then decided, okay, I did want to teach afterwards. So then I went back to Minnesota and got my teaching license there. But, you know, if you have a BA in education, that would be helpful. There are some other schools abroad that are not true international schools where you don't need this. You know, they'll look more highly on experience. Obviously, the ability to be a native English speaker is really important if you're going to be speaking, if you're going to be teaching English or pretty much any subject that is taught in English. I'll give you an example at the school that I'm currently at. It's actually not an international school. I would say about 98% of our students are Colombian and it's Colombian run, even though it does use an international curriculum for the high school. But for here, there are some people that are hired to teach English that don't have teaching license, but they're gonna make half the pay that the qualified teachers are making. So it's not completely impossible if you don't have a teaching license, but it would certainly be highly recommended both to be able to get in the school and also just to to have the understanding of how to teach. Fabulous. And you said you taught obviously in Colombia. Were you teaching in Singapore as well? And you said you worked um, in the boarding school in Switzerland. Where else have you taught? Yeah, Switzerland and Singapore were the two other places. And in Singapore, it was an international school. And I would say anywhere in Asia, you're going to tend to get really, really well-behaved students. The students in Latin America are wonderful and like super friendly and super chatty. So if that's something that bothers you, (laughs) that may be an issue. But they are very wonderful and willing to kind of participate in lots of different things and very active. So that's been great. Other international schools are generally going to have a mix of students from the host country and students that are from all different countries. It really just depends on what type of international school, what type of curriculum. And a lot of the international schools use international baccalaureate curriculum. So if that's something that you can get training in, that's a huge help. But it's certainly not. 100% necessary to get a job in an IV school if you don't have experience with IV. I see. And for someone who's interested in working in a school abroad, not in an academy and not doing the private lessons, where can you go to find these types of opportunities? Yeah. So things are kind of changing. When I first started teaching, it was more going to job fairs. And so 
the big organizations like Search Associates, International School Services, Carnegie Sando, they would have fairs. And usually the hiring season starts about November and it goes to end of February. Although, of course, especially now with COVID, things are always changing at the last minute. So they do hire until the school year starts. But that big push is certainly right now. And people would go to wherever the fair was located. So I went to one that was in London while I was teaching in Switzerland. It's a fun time, but it's also very stressful because you're there, you have multiple interviews, you go into a room, all the schools are sitting at tables and they have posters or have you know signs saying what they're hiring for. And you go up with your resume and you say why you'd be a good candidate and they decide if they want to interview you. And then you'll have an interview sometime in the next 24 hours. You know, there are people that walk away with five different offers and then you have 24 hours to decide where you're going to go. So very exciting, but also very stressful. However, that's changing a little bit now, both just because technology has improved so much and also because of COVID. So they're doing more digital fairs. I think a fair is a great opportunity. And if someone hasn't done it before, I definitely recommend it. Once you've been around for a while and you know the schools and the system a little better, I would say it's not as necessary to go to a fair, but um, I would definitely recommend signing up with Search Associates or one of these other organizations that does international recruiting. They do write on their, on each school. So each school will have like a profile and they will write if they hire teachers that are certified or not certified or teachers that are experienced or not experienced. So that would be a good place to start. Oh, wow. Okay. I had no idea. Thank you so much for giving us the insight on that. And when it comes to teaching abroad, I'd love to hear in your experience, like what you love about teaching abroad and what some of the challenges are that you face. I love the fact that everything is new and everything is interesting and exciting. And even when you're just like going to go to the grocery store, it's a challenge, but usually in a good way. Living in the United States, things are very easy. You go to the same dentist, you go to the same hairdresser, you drive to work. When you're abroad, there are so many other things that you just never know what's going to happen. Like yesterday, our bus broke down on the way back from school or the power has gone out here at school. So we had to give classes in the dark for one day. And those don't sound like good things, but it's definitely never dull, never boring. And you learn so much about the culture here just by teaching the students, because, of course, they're excited to tell you about their culture and, um, you know, who the, the cool singers are and what the foods are like and give you recommendations for where you should travel. Travel, obviously, is a huge advantage and a huge reason that a lot of people teach abroad because, you know, living in Colombia now, I'm able to go all around and really see Colombia. And if I came here on a two-week trip, I would never be able to see it in the same depth that I'm seeing it now. Definitely. All right. So let's turn it to languages because I know you said you teach French, Spanish, and ESL, which is amazing. I'm curious to know, where did you first learn French and Spanish? Yeah. So I am what they call a sequential bilingual or multilingual now, I guess, which means I didn't really learn it at all when I was little. It wasn't a heritage language. My parents both speak only English. And uh, I just started French in school, I think when I was about 12 and then started Spanish later in high school and continued to kind of study those languages and live abroad. It's been something that's been really 
eye-opening for me to be able to speak languages and really rewarding to be able to go to a different country and communicate with people. And I think it's a shame that in the United States, we just don't have good, I don't know, and not that we don't have good language teaching so much as that it's just not part of the culture to respect that and to have people want to learn other languages as much as it would be in Europe where most people speak three or four languages. So I think hopefully that's something that will change in the United States in the coming years. I think certainly the respect for people that speak Spanish or Mandarin or whatever language it is at home, I think that has changed and that is becoming more and more valued. So that's good, but we still have a long way to go as a nation to really change the culture of language learning. Definitely. Yeah. It's such a shame that, you know, I grew up in a bilingual, trilingual household because my dad is from Iran. He spoke Farsi. My mom from Colombia, obviously speaking Spanish, Mm -hmm. but they did not teach me their languages. So I grew up around it because their siblings, you know, they would speak to their siblings and their parents in their mother tongue. But, Mm -hmm. you know, my parents' common language was English. And so that's just what we spoke at home. And it's such a shame because here I am bajillions years later from being a child and still feel like I'm learning Spanish. Like my Spanish is good, but it's definitely not where I want it to be. And it would have been so easy if I just would have learned as a child. But I think, you know, Back then, your parents just want you to to be like the other kids and don't want you to get confused or whatever they had heard uh, that kind of scared them into raising a child with more than one language. So hopefully it is changing because it's such a gift when I see, you know, parents or people my age who are sharing their languages with their children. I just say like, it's such a gift what you're giving them. Not only learning a language is is so valuable, but also if it's part of your culture, it's just really important, I think, to pass that down. Definitely. In your experience, then, how did you gain fluency? Was it just by living abroad or were there other techniques that you were using? So I studied it in the classroom, like in high school and in college. But honestly, the best things for my language learning, well, one, I worked as a camp counselor at Concordia Language Villages, which was the absolute best immersion experience you could have because we were supposed to speak the language 100% of the time. People were very into language learning there and we were doing all sorts of different activities. So it wasn't really grammar focused at all, but I was able to teach canoeing in French and play pétanque in French or when I worked at the Spanish camp, you know, you met all these people that are from Argentina and it was just the best possible way to really be immersed because sometimes even though you go to another country, you know, if you hang out with your friends that speak English and, you know, go to the Irish pub, you're not necessarily going to pick up very much of that language, depending on where the country is, right? There are some places where it's like you have to speak their language to get by, but there are lots of places, especially in Europe, where you can easily get by without learning the language. Yes, it's so easy to to stay in your bubble um, when you have those options of uh, finding yeah. people who speak your native tongue. Um, because learning a language, it's not easy. So props to anyone who has gained fluency in a language. So props to you because um, I just know how much work goes into it to get to a level where you're not even just communicating, but you can be yourself in another language. Which leads me to my next question. What advice do you have for people who maybe want to start learning a language or just want to improve on a language that they have been learning? Yeah. Well, to follow up, I would say that it's never too late. (laughs) I'd like to give a shout out to my parents who are going to come and visit me next month. And they took a Spanish course and they're in their 70s. So it's really never too late. And I think any 
small amount of the language that you can learn, your experience abroad is going to be much richer. And even, you know, your experience with the culture, if you're not leaving the United States. So I think getting those authentic experiences, if possible, obviously it's great to go abroad, but even in the United States, there's a lot of people that you can find to speak with, depending on what language you're learning. You know, if it's Spanish, you can go to places where people are dancing salsa, or you can go to a Mexican restaurant and try to practice with the staff. So those authentic experiences are really a lot more motivating than just, you know, doing apps or studying on your own. That being said, there are some really great apps now, especially for vocabulary memorization. And I think I think it was Duolingo that you can actually like text with bots back and forth, which is pretty cool. I mean, there's there's a lot of great language learning stuff out there now that wasn't there 10 or 20 years ago. But the the motivational factor, if you're someone that's not as motivated, it's still going to be more motivating to talk to real people, I think, whether that is maybe you have a teacher that is in Costa Rica or in Ecuador and you work with them or a teacher that's local or you're just teaching yourself, but lots of different opportunities nowadays. Thank you. Thanks for your input on that. All right. I want to change the topic to one of anxiety. And I'd love to hear about you about what your experience with anxiety has been, because I know that was something that you had mentioned on your bio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I was first kind of diagnosed with anxiety in eighth grade and started having some kind of social issues and physical issues, then it never really went away, but it was kind of like, you know, back then it wasn't socially acceptable to talk about it. And I didn't want to be thought of as weird or strange. Now, fortunately, I think that stigma has really uh, gone away. We're really fortunate that we're talking more about mental health. But um, when I, after I studied abroad in college, I came back and it had been a great experience, but again, really stressful. And I'd actually worked at a summer camp in Switzerland too, after that. So I'd been away for a long time. And all of a sudden I started having these panic attacks and I didn't know what it was at first. And I thought I was dying or having a heart attack. You know, I went to the doctor and finally got prescribed um, anxiety medication and started seeing a therapist to kind of learn how to deal with it. It was really scary. It got to the point where it was like, I didn't want to be alone or I would be afraid to be away from a hospital, I guess, again, because I thought I was having a heart attack or it felt very strange, even though I knew that it was not anything physical. It was still hard to kind of tell myself that. So anyway, the panic attacks went away and got better. And I learned little by little how to deal with the anxiety that I was experiencing. When I was in Singapore, I did have some issues because (laughs) this was a, a trip with students. Actually, we were in Vietnam and a student had an allergic reaction and we had to go to a rural Vietnamese hospital. And wow, it was really terrifying to go there. When we arrived, the the lights were off. The power was actually out because there had been a storm. So it was pretty traumatic. And the student fortunately was completely fine. And it ended up being something that was not actually medical. Thank heavens for that. But I think that kind of fear really stuck with me. And I started developing a lot of anxiety around being away from medical care. You know, then after Singapore, I was back in the States. So then it wasn't really an issue and that has gone away. But I've had to do a lot of talking through that and journaling and kind of reworking my thoughts. 
with the anxiety. And I feel really good right now, actually here in Colombia, it's been probably the best it's been in 10 or 15 years. I think partly thanks to COVID, just because it makes us all really slow down and kind of take things slower and appreciate the little things. And that has really helped with anxiety. Just making sure to get a good night's sleep and make sure that I'm exercising or doing yoga or taking time for myself, even if that means saying, hey, sorry, I can't go out tonight. You know, I just, I need some alone time. That has been really helpful. I just want to let other people know who might be experiencing anxiety that it is possible to travel. It is possible to move abroad, but you just have to make sure to take care of yourself really well. And that was something I didn't do in Singapore and it just got worse and worse. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I definitely wanted to give you the opportunity to share because I think it's important one to talk about it because these are things that, you know, we're human and we experience. And so, like you said, you know, back a few decades ago, it it didn't feel appropriate to talk about these things because people kind of, you know, put you in a box. But now Mm -hmm. mental health is something that people are much more open to talk about. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we can feel like it's something normal, but also... I wanted you to talk about it too, because, you know, some people who may be dealing with any kind of any mental anxieties, depressions, or any challenges that they feel like they're dealing with, I wanted you to highlight your experience so that they could see that, you know, it doesn't have to stop you from traveling. You do have to take care of yourself and understand how to uh, treat or overcome what you're going through, but that you can still, you know, fulfill your dreams, even if you're dealing with some, some challenges. Absolutely. And I think one other piece of advice is if you're someone that's on medication and you're going to need medication, you know, try to get it before you leave because certain countries have different laws and rules about what they can prescribe and who can prescribe it. And also, if you're someone that sees a therapist or would like to see a therapist, it might be good if you could find someone, obviously, that speaks English or whatever your native language is, but also someone that might be from your home country. Because depending on what country you're in, that can be pretty hard. For example, when I was in Singapore, I had to get my medication refilled. And unfortunately, I felt like the care I was given, because I had to see someone for a few times before they would give me that medication. So the care that I was given, and maybe this was just a one-time thing, but it wasn't kind of the same view as it was in the United States. So I think there was still very much a stigma about mental health in Singapore and it was not a positive experience for me. So I would say, try to, you know, try to get a therapist that you know and trust before you go. And maybe you could do virtual visits and try to get any medication you might need ahead of time. That is great information. Thank you. Yeah. And for anyone who is interested in virtual therapy, BetterHelp um, is a partner of ours. So, and I use BetterHelp about a, a year and a half ago, I was dealing with some anxiety that was coming up and I just wasn't able to handle it on my own. And so I really enjoyed, you know, working with a therapist who was based in the U.S. while I lived in Spain, who um, just understood, I think, more where I was coming from and also, you know, spoke my native tongue. So if anyone's interested, uh, we do have a 10% discount on your first month of BetterHelp if you just go to betterhelp.com forward slash refresh. I just wanted to drop that there for anybody who's interested. Um, That's a great option. Yes. Thank you so much again for for sharing with us. Going back to Colombia. So I know you said you had the one-year contract. That's what you're on. Do you plan on staying in Colombia further? Yeah, that's a good question because I'm not quite sure how to answer that right now. 
I love Columbia and I would like to stay. I'm not going to stay at the same school that I'm at right now. There are actually not very many international schools that are true international schools in Columbia, like that would be the same, I guess, equivalent as international schools in Asia or Europe. So I'm either looking to go to a different international school abroad next year, or I'm going to try to stay here and kind of do some freelance and some online teaching and uh, work a little bit more on my business. So we'll see what ends up happening. I should know within the next month, I guess, what is going to happen and what I'm going to do. Oh, well, tell us, uh, yeah, what is your business? I didn't even know you had a business. Yeah, well, it's pretty small, but it's kind of in between a hobby and a, a business. But I have a website where obviously I write about my travels and uh, I work with teachers to create materials for them on a site that's called Teachers Pay Teachers. So I'm using a lot of what I'm seeing and learning here. For example, I was able to go and visit the first um, free town in the Americas that was founded by people that were escaped enslaved people. And you can hear all the kids now. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, yeah. So I think that's been really fun. And I love creating curriculum for teachers. And so I want to continue doing that. I've done some teaching online. And so I'm thinking about kind of weaving that all together into um, a bigger business. Very cool. Well, best of luck on that. And do keep us posted. Uh, what is your website or where can people find you if they want to connect? Yeah, it's called growingglobalcitizens.com. And I also offer a course there for teachers, heritage speakers. So teachers that teach students who speak Spanish at home. Fabulous. Love that. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end here, but I would love to know what advice do you have for any women who are listening who want to move abroad, but might be just scared to do so? The easiest advice or the best advice might just be just do it. I have not regretted any of the time that I've spent abroad. I think it's it's going to change you in so many ways. It's not necessarily going to be easy, but if you go in with the right mentality and you're a person that can be flexible and appreciate the new things that you're going to see and experience, it's going to be an amazing experience for you no matter where you go. Love it. Thank you. And last question. How has hitting refresh changed you and what have you learned about yourself on this journey? Um, I think it's been interesting because I've had a few refreshes in my life, but this one is a little bit different just because I was back in the States for so long and with COVID and everything. And I think one thing I've learned is that I don't have to do all the things. It's okay to take more time to myself and not sign up for all the different classes and all the different uh, activities and you know all the different classes at the gym that um, just kind of playing it day by day and seeing where things go can be very rewarding also. Thank you so much. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your story, and your insight and advice with us. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help spread the word about She Hit Refresh so we can find other refreshers out there. And if you're looking to move to Europe, don't forget to pick up my book, I'm Out of Here, An American's Ultimate Visa Guide to Living in Europe. And you can find it on our website at shehitrefresh.com and you'll see it there on the homepage. 
And last, if you're a woman 30 years and over looking to hit refresh, please join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash she hit refresh. 